What's going on, guys? Welcome back. We are here today to do first non-Sixers episode in a while. Um, so if you know anything about me listening to this podcast, I am an Eagles fan. I'm an NFL fan, but I'm not plugged in quite like some people that I know. So for this episode, we have the NFL draft coming up this week. We wanted to do something that's essentially explain it to me like I'm five. So. I have brought on recurring guest, Jason. What's up, Jason? How you doing, dude? What's up, brother? How are ya? So we How's have Jason, as everyone knows, huge Eagles fan. And then we also have Seamus Clancy here from Bleeding Green Nation. You might know him from his podcast on there. You might know him from Twitter. What's going on, Seamus? How are you? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so... Just up top, the first thing that we wanted to hop into in terms of the Eagles draft, what they're going to do, we know Howie Roseman's history in the draft. Let's just start up top with our worst case scenario for what the Eagles do in the draft at the 12th pick. They've now traded back from the 6th pick to the 12th pick. They've gotten a future first round pick from the Miami Dolphins. And now they're sitting at 12. I was saying before, I felt like I was in good shape when they had the sixth pick. But now that they have the 12th pick, I have no idea what they're going to do. So, Seamus, since this is your first time on the podcast, what do you think the worst case scenario at 12 is for the Eagles? So the one things that have been like flying through my head are a situation where they trade down. And in a vacuum, is trading down bad? No. But just given the, the relatively with the Eagles having – endured a 4-11-1 season to get out of the sixth pick. And I can say, even though my feelings on Howie Roseman are well known, the, the value of picking up that extra first-round pick and moving up from also 150 to 123 to move down in the first round, that's great value. But doing so again for a more marginal return, say they're at the pick 12 and they move down to 15 or 16 or 17, uh, whether that's maybe New England or Vegas wants a quarterback, or you know, the worst to me would be if, you know, Jalen Waddle is there at 12 or Devonta Smith is gone and Arizona jumps up for a receiver. They just give their young quarterback, Kyle Murray, yet another playmaker to work with. They already have uh, DeAndre Hopkins. They already have Christian Kirk. And they add someone like that to the Knicks while the Eagles go back down to 16, 17, 15, whatever in that range and end up taking, you know, a Quiddy Pay or an Elijah Vera Tucker. It's not a strong edge rusher class. And, you know, it's hard for me to ever be mad about taking an offensive tackle in the first round, but they're sliding down for a guy who projects more so as an interior guard. And he might not even be able to start week one as a rookie. Pains me to say that. Yeah. So it, it's funny that you bring up the whole trading down thing because it kind of reminds me of, and I always bring everything back to the Sixers. That's what you know about this podcast. But basically, when the Sixers traded back in the 2018 draft, we took Michael Bridges with the 10th pick and we traded back. We got Zaire Smith. We got that future first. The process of that, in theory, is good. But the reality was I didn't trust the front office to make the right move with that future first and to take the right guy. And obviously that was the case with Zaire Smith. That's kind of what the Howie Roseman thing reminds me of. Like the idea behind trading down and getting extra picks, getting future value is fantastic. But when the execution is constantly missing on draft picks, 
you're you're essentially taking your margin of error and you're going from okay we have the sixth pick in the draft and it's it's harder to miss on the sixth pick than it is to miss on the twelfth pick. <laughs> so you, you're 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 taking your margin of error and you're making it considerably larger. Now you're giving yourself a future pick, obviously, and you're you're giving yourself maybe another shot to hit on there. Um, but with as I said, with his history, it doesn't leave me feeling very comfortable now, Jason. I know that you've thought a lot about this. What is your worst case scenario for the Eagles at 12 now that we kind of have gotten Sheamus' out of the way? Yeah. I wanted to One kind of also back for Jason, right? <laughs> uh, honestly, it's re signing Nate Gary in any capacity would be my worst case. <laughs> um, so to wrap up your thought, trading back to accumulate picks is great when you are in a full rebuild. And I don't consider the Eagles in a full rebuild, though they are rebuilding. And here's why. The Eagles selected a quarterback, a high ceiling potentially quarterback, in the second round a year ago. You have to now give him premier players to see if he can be a franchise guy. You can't applaud that decision by pushing out understanding if he can actually be your franchise quarterback by continuously accumulating picks at a later date. So that is different to me. Like for when you talk about when the Sixers did it, Right, it was go time for the Sixers. We needed a Michael Bridges. We needed a three and D guy that could end up being a perimeter shooter and and can be a really uh, uh, great defender on the perimeter. The, the Eagles are in the same boat. They need a top tier elite playmaker now and someone who can play now, not somebody who's going to maybe be depth if you know, Brandon Brooks goes down or something like that. And, and I'm going to kind of piggyback off of uh, Seamus here. Um, the, I have two worst case scenarios. One one kind of developed this week. The first one is they just overthink themselves. They love Pac-12 players for absolutely no reason. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker has a lot of momentum. In fact, I do think that he's a possibility for the Giants right in front of us. Just just to cut you off, can you explain to me who who he is? Because that was the first time sure. that I've heard his name when Seamus brought it yeah. up. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is a tackle for the USC Trojans and. His film is great. Like it, it, it's it's not bad film. It's technically very sound. He's got good power, but it's Pac-12 power, right? It's very similar to what you saw in a guy like Andre Dillard in Pass Pro, right? That's you're you're kind of looking at a mirror image. Now, I think he probably has a, a little bit of a higher upside than Dillard, and just in terms of being a better NFL pro. But to to James's point, he does project more as a guard. And guess what? He's not starting if you draft him, unless you move one of your entrenched starting linemen. But then you're just making yourself worse, most likely, right? I mean, if you trade Brandon Brooks, who's one of the best guards in the NFL, you're going to be worse. There's just no doubt about it. And honestly, I I can't sit here and say that somebody like that is going to be better than Jordan Mailata this year. I don't know what his ceiling is. It could be all pro. I really don't know. I I think we're probably closer to it than we than we've been. But still, he some of his games last year he demolished some really good ends. The other worst case scenario that developed this week. Uh, I, I I don't know. You saw the Kansas City Baltimore trade. They got a, they got a Paul yeah. picks and out two picks in the first round that they can use to potentially move up. I know you're themselves oh. right. Or don't forget, I, I said for a long time. I listen. I killed the Eagles for for their personnel decisions last year. The Baltimore Ravens hung Lamar Jackson out to dry with those skill position guys. Way worse than the Philadelphia Eagles, in my opinion, because Eagles have better tight ends. They had two better tight ends. Um. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade essentially any of the Eagles' skill position guys for the Baltimore Ravens. They also need some guys. 
if Howie Roseman overthinks this and he does what he does with his ego by trading this pick for picks 27 and 31 and maybe a fourth or something like that, you will have event, you have essentially traded the sixth overall pick for two picks at the end of the first round. That's it. Because future picks mean nothing until they're happening. So that is, that is scary to me. That, um, that sounds like a disaster point. scenario. Although, although if you were to talk about like on a draft chart, like what, like, Oh, this pick plus this pick equals that pick. If you're doing that much and, and you're moving back to 27 and 30, that is a disaster just because, as we talked about before, the, the, the further you get down the draft board, the more of a crapshoot it is. Like You just went 4-11-1 and, and you have the 27th pick. That's just unacceptable to me. It's unacceptable. Correct. You need it. Those teams, you need an elite player, and you need a guy that can play now. Like, do I like Kadarius Tony? I love – yeah, I think he's going to be excellent, but I don't want him at – he can't be our first pick, you know? Yeah. That, so, that can't happen. So I like that we're already getting mad at Howie through these hypotheticals, first off. I think that's great that we're starting to get mad at him in advance in case any of this does happen. Now, let's move from the negative downer side that we all love and let's move to what's our best case scenario with the 12th pick. Seamus, why don't you go first and tell me some of the guys that you're targeting. And then also, maybe they move up. Maybe they stay there. Who who would you ideally like to come away with, in, 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 you know, considering how the draft board could shake out? I feel like it's probably a, a general consensus for most Eagles fans. The, the ideal scenario is you don't have to trade up. You don't have to trade down. You just sit there at 12 and... The reigning Heisman Trophy winner falls to you at 12. You get Devontae Smith in Philadelphia, the most electric receiving threat you'll have there since early career Deshaun Jackson in Philadelphia. Give Jalen Hurts a real try as you know this, this test year for him. Because when you trade down from 6 to 12, you're picking up that future first. You're hedging on Hurts' future, right? They're saying, we think you might be the guy, but we're going to get all these picks for next year because if you aren't that good, we're going to go trade them all for a quarterback early in the draft, or we're going to get Russell Wilson or something like that, or the next veteran quarterback becomes available. And also, we're trading down from 6 to 12, so we're going to give you a worse running mate to run with. But in reality, if we were at 6, I would have been fine taking Smith there, assuming Chase was off the board, Jamar Chase out of LSU. So if they go down to 12 still, get that extra future capital, move up a couple picks from the 5th round to the 4th round, and they still get a guy who I think can be Day one, electric, unbelievable NFL player. I, I don't care about the size thing, the way other people do. What's no, the no. real difference between 166 pounds and 174 pounds? Do you know what I mean? Is it like a couple, you know, cheesesteaks at, you know, Phil Steaks or something like that? Like, I think I don't have like a real. Yeah, we can easily bulk him up like here. Yeah, it's not like he has a, a history of lower body injuries I don't know or if anything you like do that. that though. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're taking a player and he's. He's never had an issue ever. Yeah, so much so. There's no lower body concerns. There's no durability concerns to me. Um, Just the type of home run, obvious decision that Howie hasn't made in the past. But I will say that with the aftermath of like the JJ Ortega Whiteside, DK Metcalf thing, and then amplified even more last year with Jalen Rager taking this more projectable, projecty guy, even though we thought Rager could have some success immediately and, and as a rookie compared to what we saw from Justin Jefferson, who, for all we know, might be on literally a Hall of Fame trajectory. It might be time for him to just say, let's stop overthinking this and take a guy that just balled out, won the national championship, played against all the best defensive backs in the country for the last couple of years. In the last two years, we've had, we're going to end up having four first-round wide receivers come out of Alabama. 
And Smith is the most productive and best out of all four of them between himself, Jalen Waddle this year, and then last year, Henry Ruggs III and Jerry Judy. Yep. Yep. And Jason, Jason um, has constantly I, talked about this, pedi- this, this pedigree that like people seem to kind of be overlooking when it comes to Smith. Like, I feel like sometimes there's just an obvious guy to pick based on their college production, based on the fact that, I mean, <laughs> I, once again, not a huge college football guy. I watched him play in the national championship and I was like, if this guy is not a success at the next level, then I just don't know what is. Like, I just don't know. Yeah. Pretty much what it comes down to. So. He he went against Devontae Smith. I'm going to roll right into mine because we have the same um, best case scenario. I'll add that the, uh, if Kyle Pitts slips, I, I don't think it's likely at all, to that 8-9 range, I think the Eagles do have ammo to trade up and go get him. I think that would also be a, a really best case scenario. I mean, Kyle Pitts – at this point, being Some 12, of Kyle picking Pitts, up Jason, because I've been a little iffy on him during the pre-draft process. Obviously, over okay. the last month or so, that's died down since they're not a pick six anymore. So the idea of him coming to Philadelphia yeah. is pretty much out the window. I, I, I get the, like he can be a receiver, but he played tight end in college. I know he, he only played like 40 or 50 snaps on the outside, I believe, lined up wide, wide uh, this past year uh, per PFF. You know, give me the give me the scoop. Why should I want them to trade up to him if he falls to seven? Well, or eight? most importantly, he's from Philadelphia, so that's all that matters. Well, he's, he's the Abington guy, right? He's gonna, he's gonna ring the bell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, here's really what it comes down to: the Florida offense without Kyle Pitts wasn't even acceptable to beat bad teams. Kyle Trask without Kyle Pitts in in the bowl game, I think, had five interceptions, right? So, like, you're talking about you're talking about removing literally like a single guy out of that lineup, and Kyle Trask went from a Heisman candidate quarterback to essentially undraftable to Kyle like, Trash. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I think that the impact on the field that he had from a collegiate level was was MVP like, right? Certainly, certainly, he had a very similar impact to what Devontae Smith did. The other thing that Kyle Pitts gives you is he is non-bustable. Right. So that to me and somebody that can help Jalen Hurts, I would rather get a perimeter player. I would rather get a guy that is the best wide receiver that can dominate on the outside. But I'm not going to kill a team for bringing in a guy that I know is going to play for 10 to 12 years and be potentially likely a top uh, three player at his position. I think I would consider that a win. I don't value. I used to value the tight end position over everything. I, I don't. I, I don't know if it was a ruse or what. I mean, we ended up winning a Super Bowl, so maybe it, maybe it wasn't. But I, I probably would. I definitely would take I think the up in the post Gronk generation where we saw Gronk be like the most unstoppable pass yeah. target of all time. So in in that the post like uh, prime Gronk era, we think a tight end could be this transformer's presence. And maybe Kyle Pitts is the next yeah. Gronk in that regard. So. Yeah, but who Kyle knows? Is a different breed too. Yeah. He might be a very different breed of tight end that we haven't seen. I mean, you're looking at guys like Darren Waller. Um, Travis Kelsey and um, Kittle, uh, who's a San Francisco Kittle, Kittle, and Kyle. It seems like he seems like you know he's like an enhanced version almost in a way. Uh, you know he's running in the in the low four fours. Like this is we're talking about a guy that has real wide receiver speed. Um, Agility is probably a little different, but and a huge catch radius. So I, I wouldn't hate that pick. Um, and I think if you can get there while keeping your first round pick that you got for next season, it's not a terrible idea. Like if you told me the Eagles ended up with Kyle Pitts plus a first round pick next year, I'd be like, okay, I'll take that. 
Uh, but I think Devontae Smith is unequivocally the best pick that you can make at 12. Um, I have, I really have no, con- I have no doubt. I watched this guy destroy press coverage in the SEC. JC Horn, who is a elite top flight cornerback prospect, shut down every single wide receiver he went against. Judy, uh, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, doesn't matter who it was, shut him down. I'm talking between 12 and 40 yards. That's it. Every single game, except for Devontae Smith, who burnt him to a crisp, roasted him. That tells me everything I need to know. He destroyed the best possible cornerback prospects in the SEC over and over and over and over again. And then in, you saw, and then when the eyes were on him in the playoff game in the national championship game, we're looking at a guy who's constantly open. And not because the other teams were like, oh, my God, who is this Devontae Smith guy? <laughs> it's because you can't cover him. <laughs> he he, wasn't, can't he cover. wasn't on the scouting division, report. Yeah, and in a division that honestly isn't very good, I know that a lot of people – for whatever reason, they're because they're dumb as shit. Believe that the that the all of the teams are going to be better next year. I don't. I'm not really seeing it at this point. You need a guy who's going to change some games and make a play. Game open at that time, right? That and 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 I've always talked about this with Porter all the way back, even through college. Talent pops off the screen. You don't have to guess. You don't have to project it. Right. That to me is the safest bet in the draft to take somebody who is talented and just translate it to the NFL. The Eagles need the PR juice in, in the, in the worst way possible. They have to, if he ends up being a bust, they're not going to catch shit for it. You know why? Because it was the right pick, right? I'm not, whatever, whatever happens after that happens, but please stop making me feel like an insane person while I'm watching the draft <laughs> because I have to scream. Like I have to scream in my head that we're, we're, we're overdoing it again. So yeah, I would agree. Um, I'm going Devontae Smith all day at 12. So before we – Let me ask Porter. I want to ask both of you. If we take um, J.C. Horn, that's, maybe Sertan. That's but what I was going to bring up. If we take J.C. Horn over, over Devontae Smith, are you apoplectic? Like are yeah. you furious? Yeah. Okay. Why are you furious? I mean it's less about Horn rather than passing on Smith. That's really the thing. I think Horn's a good cornerback prospect. I actually might like him. The, the way I, d- I describe the – the horn versus Sertan dilemma in my head is that my my head says to go with Sertan and my heart says to go with JC Horn because maybe he's a he little feels more, a little bit more made for the city. He's I, he uh, has he has Jalen uh, Mills mentality and energy in an all pro yes. cornerback's body is the way I describe him. Right. Yeah, he's re- he's here to eat your lunch and he's here to he's here to make you look bad. He's here to celebrate on your carcass when he does it. That's kind of the energy that the city likes. Yeah, it's know? the opposite of Nandi. It's like if you had non again, like Nandi's talent and Jalen Mills' head, like like heart and and soul and mind and energy in him. Yeah, he would eat your lunch, yep. but not in his yep. car. Is what you're trying to say? All right, <laughs> yes, uh, that's a good way to say. It. Yes, <laughs> real, real throwback there for for the listeners. Um, all right, so. I love being sad. I, I personally just like, I'm not like an NFL draft expert. One thing that I, my, my go-to things when it comes to any draft is what Jason said, the talent jumps off the screen. Don't question it hundred percent. And then positional value. So like what position can you get that will break a game? So exactly what Seamus was saying. So like if you are to nail on a top tight end, top wide receiver, top quarterback, top offensive tackle. That is 100. And quarterback too. Quarterback's an incredibly important position, don't get me wrong. 
But maybe it's just because the pick isn't quite as sexy as a wide receiver. Like the wide receiver is the Jerry Jones pick. So it can appeal to casual fans and it can also appeal to hardcore fans that know the importance of having a top tier wide receiver. So obviously, you know, just from a a more casual draft fan perspective, I would prefer to see them come away with the guy who seems like the sure thing. I'm all for shooting for the stars uh, when you're in the middle of a rebuild and you have a, you know, you want to go for the high ceiling guy. But as Jason said, I think that basically setting the table for Jalen Hurts to succeed is incredibly important because you see time and time again, these guys that come into bad situations and they're never, even even if the talent is there, they're never able to quite get their career right because they were thrown into very shitty situations for the first two to three years of their career. And for a quarterback, you need to nurture that quarterback and develop him while also giving him the tools to succeed. So 100% agree with you guys. Uh, the one last thing before we move on from 12 that I want to say is if they were to take that offensive lineman you were talking about, why wouldn't you have just stayed at six and take, take that guy who seems Sewell, who seems like a, like a home run. Everyone seems to be incredibly high on him says that he's like the best player in the draft. Right. Or Slater is going to be there too. You know, you can take either one. So that's so much much for Slater than Elijah Vera Tucker. I think there's, it's more projectable that Slater could be, uh, a better offensive tackle. Uh, and then I yeah. think definitely has, you know, Quentin Nelson, Zach Martin ability at guard, if that's the, the route that the Eagles end up going. But again, if he's not starting year one at guard, is it really valuable? Because you saw those two guys I just mentioned, Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin, they just weren't good as rookies. They both made first team all pro, not pro bowl selections, first team all pro selections as first round guards. If you're drafting a guard and he can't be that type of player right away, I don't want him. In terms of a first Honestly, round, it terms of using a first round draw. pick on him, yeah, you can find a guard very easily, as evidence. Sally Roseman routinely does it. Right. That's the thing. That's the thing that I think we get away from is the Eagles, for all of their warts and Howie Roseman's ego, drafts linemen very well, and we have the best goddamn offensive line coach in the entire world on the on the team. He molds superstars. You give him clay. And just let him go to work. You don't need to give him the finished product right now, especially knowing that the offensive line trends to be a top 10 if they're healthy. Like, I'm not, like, concerned about that. You cannot – it's good to always be keeping an eye on the future, but you just can't have a guy that isn't going to play and impact the team in 2021. And also, you don't draft guards in the top 15, ever. You just don't do it. You draft tackles. You know why? Because they matter. <laughs> and I'm not saying guards don't matter. It's really frustrating when you have bad guards, but they're just easier to find. Isaac Samalu, you find you found him in the draft, no problem. What was it what was he a fifth round pick? He was was he a third? Third round pick? It doesn't matter. It was, it was it, a day two, it, late eight. day two, early day three pick. That's the sweet spot to go find a guard who can be an above right. average to you know borderline Pro Bowl guard. That's it, and that's all you need because you need your bookends, you need your centers to be good. The guard play as long as they play with synergy, essentially is going to matter less, right? And then you can find a Brandon Brooks out there. I'm not saying it's necessarily easy, but it's been done. So it, it I think back to position, it comes back to positional value, basically all of it. Yeah. it it's it, it, take the guys at the top of the draft that you know are more surefire. You know, they might not be 100% home runs from the jump, but they are the, the kinds of guys that will, you know, really shift your, your ability 
to win now and also continue this, whatever this rebuild is. And as you guys said, if the guy can't play immediately, whatever it is, you can always find guys later in the draft if you actually listen to your scouts and you don't try to be the smartest guy in the room. So let's move on from the 12th pick and let's just talk a little bit about the later picks. Now, when I say I know nothing about the later picks, I mean I know nothing. So let's go, uh, Seamus, tell me your, your top, you could say top two, top three targets for the second round with the Eagles pick, they they will have the thirty eighth pick. Would it be the second second round? I think I did my math right. Thirty seven. Thirty seven. Thirty seventh pick. So who would be your top two to three targets there if if you had uh if you had your choice? So I have two. I have three guys here. Two of them I think could go a little early. They could be late, late first round around the 30th pick range. You might have to trade up a little for them, or they could just fall. And then the third guy is a guy who might go a little bit later than uh, – he'd be like the perfect steal, steal in the third round. But if you really want to take him, you might have to take him at 37. So the first two guys I have, they definitely have some Philly connections. So people like listen to this would love it. It's Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State and Christian <laughs> Barrymore from Alabama. Christian Barrymore, graduate of the Newman Goretti. High school in South Philadelphia, Asante Samuel Jr., obviously the son of former Eagles All-Pro cornerback Asante Samuel Sr. What I I love about defensive backs and what makes me a little weary of taking uh, the two top cornerbacks at at 12 potentially is that they don't jump off the screen. and They obviously have talent, but they don't jump off the screen in terms of ball skills and playmaking ability. And the way that the NFL has just progressed over the last decade where things are so oriented to passing, the rules, the officiating, everything is making passing easier, making scoring easier because that's what people love to watch. The way for – we talk about this this phrase, game wrecker. The way to be a game wrecker cornerback to me is to a guy that can not only just take the ball over but can take it back to the house. So I think Samuel has that pedigree, has those ball skills. We've seen – you know, he, they don't play in the SEC, but we've seen you know over the last decade to two decades, Florida State has been a great breeding ground for, for defensive backs coming into the NFL. Barrymore, it's hard to argue with taking a, a defensive player from the SEC, which is why you know still taking Horner Sertana in the first round is still fine. It's a fine pick at twelve. They're they're playing against the top town. They're they're the best players in the country. And then obviously love little uh, South Philly connection there. But Barrymore would slide in. He's not going to start right away as a, as a rookie. But I think if he's going to be playing. You know, the way you would call it starter minutes in the NBA, he's going to be playing a lot of snaps. They're going to have a great defensive tackle rotation between Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, and him. And it's going to end up maybe even extending Cox's career a little bit because he's going to be able to play there uh, so frequently and spell him and keep him stronger throughout the rest of the season. And then the last guy I like is also a defensive tackle, as uh, Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech. He's a little undersized, short arms. But just an athletic freak, that that phrase obviously gets overused. But his testing is unbelievable. If you look at that uh, website, Mock Draftable, has those spider charts. His number one athletic and measurable comparison is Aaron Donald. And his number three is Geno Atkins. I, I think saw he you could post be, that. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. It's a fine pick at 37. Yeah, he's, he's, a, guy, he's a guy I think can, uh, you know, has, you know, sleeper, sleeper, you know, pro bowl potential within his rookie contract. If he gets in the right system, I think you know an Eagles defensive line uh, that's historically always been good has been you know the the strong point of the team for the last decade almost. Putting him into that rotation is going to be fierce. All right, Jason, do you have any thoughts on those guys? Yeah, I love the Barrymore pick. In fact, he is so hot right now that um, I don't even think he's going to be there. I think he's going to go in the first round. I've been just uh, would the, you be shocked if they I took think him he's at twelve? Get overdrafted, unfortunately. 
Would I be shocked? No, I wouldn't be shocked. I, 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 I wouldn't be shocked. if they took him at 12. Uh, let me say this. Yes, I do. I think that I don't think there's any way the Eagles take him at 12 unless they can unless they do that original trade down with like an Arizona or a New England. And in that range, the 16, 15, 16 range, 17. I think if that happens, I would almost be locked into to Bearmore being the pick, quite frankly. I wouldn't hate because it. Usually, like, I know that they love him. I, it's going to be tough for me to hate too. Um, just because I know how important it is. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that's really – it's the wrong process, but one that's like – it's like, hey, I'm on a diet, but I'm going to eat this fried chicken sandwich anyway. Like, it's like <laughs> I don't like the process, but I still might like the result again. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I really like that. Uh, the, the Louisiana Tech guy is a total freak, and that's the guy – that's the kind of guys you bet on. Especially – I don't really love betting on that in the first round, but like a guy like that in the second or even the Day third two. round, I mean, yeah. th- that's when you want to do that. Right, you want to bet on traits, and that guy's going to come in. It doesn't even almost matter what happens that first year as he adjusts to NFL life. His traits are going to take over someday, and as long as he can, be, as long as he's coachable, it should translate no problem. So he's kind of the high ceiling prospect. Yeah, extremely. I mean, you saw. I mean, it's not a guarantee, but but mock draftable. What it shows you is elite elite guys usually have elite traits, right? Let's put it this way: Derek Barnett, a player who I actually. Like, I mean, part of the most, one of the most important moments ever in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles, he plays violently um, and with no respect for his opponents. I like that. I know you love um, that. But he's not a bust, but he's certainly, he's certainly not a hit. You know what I mean? I, I don't think, I don't think we're all sitting here like, wow, Derek Barnett, what a player. Yeah, he's fine. He's got very, very low traits. He's a tape guy, right? And, and Joe Douglas was big on that. Um, and it shows you the difference. You know what I mean? It shows you the difference in, in what it can be. So I would rather take a guy who could potentially turn out to have just like a freaky career versus a Derek Barnett, which is, hey, this was good. This wasn't a hit. I mean, sometimes you need those two, but. Yeah. Um, are there any guys? Yeah, that, you want me to go through mine? Yeah, yeah. If there are yeah, any guys that you wanted to mention in the second round. So um, I think that. I'm trying to project what the Eagles are going to do, right? And so if they go cornerback, which <clears throat> I feel like the, I feel like the most likely pick to me is J.C. Horn. Just going to throw that out there. Yeah, um, at twelve, I feel like they would like. I, I think they more. would take him. Over, I think they're going to take him over Devontae Smith if I had to, you know, kind of project out. But if they do that, a guy like Rondale Moore, I think, is going to slip to 37. I think there's too many good wide receivers, and he had a little bit too many injuries in college. You know, I can see the Packers taking him. Um, but I think he could slip to 37, and he is a total freak of nature with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's like Randall Cobb, but if Randall Cobb was even actually a little bit quicker, he absolutely destroyed Ohio State. Ohio State, I mean, look, Purdue literally had one player that Ohio State, all, you know, 11 guys on defense had to stop, and they couldn't do it, and they beat the hell out of him. So, Rondell Moore, um, in fact, I have his mock draftable up right now, um, and it was, uh, oh, I actually lost it. It was, yeah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, he, he's 96% percentile on 40 yard dash, 98 vertical jump, 96, 20, uh, 20 yard split. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, and this is all eligible, you know, combine participants. I know it's not a combine this year ever, right? Since, since this has wow. really been started. This so you're talking about a guy, he ran a four, three, two, 40 yard dash. It's going to give you a pop that Jalen Rager simply cannot give. I'd be fine with cutting Jalen Rager afterwards. It wouldn't matter. <laughs> he he so feels like I a better that. version of what you wanted Rager to be, right? He feels like a souped up, even more rocked up, even more fat, quicker Jalen Rager. Yeah. And the other thing too is I, I, 
I don't comp him to T.Y. Hilton, but the way that I think that Nick Sirianni's offense would run, um, I do believe they would be running a lot of those over concepts. Um, they would get him the ball really quickly and let him do his thing in space. And I think he's, I think he's a yard eater. So you get him the ball and all of a sudden, uh, you know, a two yard pass turns into 37 yards really quickly. And as we've seen with the Eagles offensive line, when you do get some momentum, they start kind of road grading other teams. And it's like, you know, it, start, it starts turning into uh, a pretty good drive. So I think that's a possibility. I love Jabril Cox out of LSU. Yes. Might be a little early at 37, might be, but like, and, and listen, I have railed against taking linebackers early for years, but the Eagles simply do not have any talent at linebacker. You need to have out linebackers on the roster. Right. I, I mean, I, I do think they upgraded in free agency, which is good, but they don't have enough, you know? So I think that um, if you get a guy like Jabril Cox who can run sideline to sideline, who has traits that um, LSU coaches look for from high school on, elite, elite level talent uh, in terms of just his raw ability, you need a guy who can do that. We saw in the Super Bowl, it actually is pretty nice to have some good linebackers. You don't need them, but if if – if you're not going to be dominant at anything, then you do have to be uh, you do have to be uh, decent everywhere. And the Eagles are simply not good enough in the front seven having zero linebackers at play. Even though I like what Alex Angleton brings, I like what TJ Edwards brings, but they are not game breakers in any way. So that gives you. And then one more that I think the Eagles will target is uh, Ronnie Perkins out of uh, Oklahoma, defensive end. Um, I think that. They always they, they love the line of scrimmage. I mean, they just they consistently draft um, defensive ends, defensive tackles, offensive linemen. I don't think they're going to leave. I I can't see them leaving um, the first two rounds without one. I kind of hope they do, but I can't see them doing it just based off their philosophy. So, and he is extremely productive player um, out of Oklahoma. Their defense has been much better recently. Um, they've changed some coaching around, so you're not getting a guy. You know, you're getting you're getting SEC talent, SEC coaching in the Big Twelve, and I've told you many times the only the only Big Twelve guys I'm ever drafting from is Oklahoma until until proven otherwise. I mean, please, someone else come in and be good. I, I'll 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 start considering, but I'm not drafting anybody else from the Big Twelve until they prove to be you know not a Mickey Mouse conference except for <laughs> Oklahoma. So I think that's a possibility. As well. And something to be said, Eagles. I mean, Brandon Graham is not you know he's not going to live in the NFL forever, so. I think that uh, they're going to reload at some point, and I think it's a, he's a he's a high potential player, and he can get snaps immediately, especially in rotation. And then I think you have your backups uh, as Perkins, Josh Sweat. You know, you could, teams could do worse than that. Yeah. So let's go where I'm at. All right. So I agree with you in terms of. I mean, it's something that Jason has kind of drilled into my brain over the past few years, and it's so funny because every year after the draft, I'm always like. Well, Jason said, don't draft that guy that didn't from the Big 12 that didn't go to Oklahoma. <laughs> he sucks again, <laughs> like every time. You Jalen Rager on the floor? I said, this guy's going to be terrible. <laughs> this guy's going to be awful. I was like, I don't care what his traits. We didn't play in a real conference. He didn't play against real players. He literally has no coaching. So moving on from <laughs> from the, uh, the second round. So, yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about our third to seventh round sleepers. I'm going to ask you guys to give me two each just so that we don't go, go on too long with, with names that people probably aren't going to know. But how about your top two guys that you could see in that third to seventh round range that might be flying under the radar a little bit, Seamus? 
Uh, so an early day three pick for me, I think he could be available in, in round four, is I think the Eagles definitely need to upgrade the backup running back position. I would always want to be adding talent and into the backfield committee every every two years or so. They drafted Miles Sanders two years. They're not an organization that's going to be you know uh, readily and easily handing out second contracts to running backs. So I like is out of Oklahoma State, Chuba Hubbard. Uh, I think in 2019, he had 21 rushing touchdowns. was an All-American selection. I think he had... Uh, 2,094 uh, rushing yards gives me uh, and he was also he's he's Canadian was a hundred meter uh, sprint champion in his youth gives me a little DeMarco Murray vibes but like the, the DeMarco Murray that was in Dallas not the the loser that was in Philadelphia so I, I like him I think he's a solid kind of uh, we really want to be we want to with you <laughs> yeah and then a guy I like late in, in round seven is is Jamar Watson out of Kentucky an SEC player he's defensive end can line up in all all around the defensive line uh all over across the defensive line test well athletically and his nickname is Boogie which I like Ah, oh, that's big. Easy I heard there's a guy named. It. Yeah, I mean, if if his name is Boogie, that's great. I heard there's a guy named Trill Williams, which obviously, yeah, I he he's, he's a guy to go day three. I, I like, or I'm sorry, day two. I, I really like him. Uh, it's a really talented defensive back class yep. in Syracuse this year. Huh, that's interesting. It, yeah, it's, it's incredible. But these are the guys also that played Clemson a few years ago that were really uh, in a really I, tightly contested game. I so. remember that. Yeah, they got some experience. Yeah. So, um. Jason, your two guys, third to seventh round, what are you feeling? I went real late. I, I think that um, the middle three-ish rounds, um, to me, like three, four, five, uh, I think that a lot of people – I wanted to bring something else to this where people like have either overlooked some people or just don't know who they are. I think from like the five, six, seventh range, that's kind of where I settled on. Uh, the first guy, I've been on him really for a long time now, is John Adams Jr. out of Arkansas State. Talk about a guy with ball skills and also like Jalen Mills, like confidence as a wide receiver. This guy has it in, in spades and he played really well in some of their biggest games. Um, in the red zone, I mean, if you throw it his way, he comes down with the football. Like that's, that's what it is. And, and not in a way that I don't think will translate to the NFL, <clears throat> you know, like Jaws or something. Um, he played against guys, certainly at Arkansas State. You know, he's not playing in the SEC, but he is playing against Southern talent and, you know, they have so much talent in the South that sometimes these guys go to smaller schools because they are just so over-recruited. I'm sorry, under-recruited, really, that um, they can't make it anywhere else. This guy seems to be like that. I mean, he's got tremendous, tremendous um, body control and also ball skills, which is, which are badly needed for the Eagles. The other guy that I like, kind of piggybacking on a, uh, from a position standpoint um, with running back, is uh, Brian Robinson, the the running back out of Alabama. This is, to me, Josh Jacobs' light. I can't even believe he's not getting any fanfare right now. This guy runs hard. He'd be an amazing compliment to Miles Sanders. He might get he might get drafted higher than I think based off of the Alabama pedigree, but he's got no buzz right now, and I just can't figure it out because when he got the ball, the chains were moving like every time. And I know that offense was a buzzsaw. I know, that, I know what they were. Um, but you want a guy who likes contact, right? He reminds me of – if you kind of mix Josh Jacobs and Jordan Howard together a little bit, um, I want a violent running back behind Miles Sanders. And I want a guy who's not going to fumble, quite frankly, because Miles Sanders is going to fumble. So I need a guy who, especially if Miles Sanders misses time, he can play starter, starting minutes, I believe, um, and be a really effective running back. That's I, I think you can get him late. I think you can get him six rounds or later. We have a ton of uh, picks in those rounds. I think one of them has to be used on a running back like this. So that, that's who I look at. 
if you're listening to this, check out check out his his highlights. They're violent, and as you know, I love violence. I think it's I think it's critical to success in the NFL. I do. You have, you have players that like violence and that are a little crazy, and they're, they're they they want to inflict that on the opposition on both sides of the ball, right? Whether it's whether it's uh, some style points or or straight up like Derek Barnett, where he's just going to knock out you know Jamal Williams, the Green Bay Packer, and set the tone in a game that we win. I'm all for it, and this guy does that. So. Pro, pro CTE podcast. Um, a, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm the anti-vaxxer, but of CTE. <laughs> so, um, all right. So we we we've thrown out a few names that I will be YouTubing after this and and watching them, uh, you know, inflict violence on their opponents. Um, now let's just get down to your predictions. What the Eagles, obviously Jason's already mentioned he believes that J.C. Horn is most likely to be the pick for the Eagles. What do you think the Eagles do at 12? What do you think their overall drafting strategy is and what they end with at the end of the day, who they are at the end of the weekend, who they come home with? Seamus, we'll start with you. It's hard to bet against the trenches, right? With the way this organizational's MO has been for the last two decades since the Andy Reid era down to the Howie Roseman days. It's hard. Part of me wants to say J.C. Horn because I think they're enamored with this cornerback class. I think they're upset away the defense defensive back situation has been for the last couple of years. So I want to say either they stay at 12 and take J.C. Horn. If they're staying at 12, that's my pick. If they're trading down, I say they go for someone like Elijah Vera Tucker or a Quiddy Pay. They, they may be their team that takes the first edge rusher this, this year. Because then they're, they're in the press conference after the after the draft and say, hey, we were able to trade down twice. We got the best pass rusher in the class. Just the classic Howie Schmutz. I'm already mad at you, Thomas. I'm already furious. <laughs> uh, getting mad at hypotheticals. That's what we do. All right. So, um, Jason, what what about you? Well, you, you said J.C. Horn. What, do you have any other alternatives at, at 12 and uh, maybe some other – drafting philosophy ideas that might that might come into play here i think that i think that the organization is cognizant behind the scenes there's been a lot written about jeffrey lurie howie roseman this offseason has been ugly for them for on a personal level i mean questioning like their personal involvement and and commitment to the team i mean it's been very very ugly as ugly as i can ever remember i mean i seriously cannot remember the I've stopped reading some of the articles because they're almost redundant. So I think they are cognizant of this first round pick is a very important pick. Leaving this draft with good momentum is is very important from a PR standpoint. Uh, If they trade down and select Elijah Vera Tucker, I I do think that they might want to do that. I just, I can't imagine that they can take again the heat that's going to come along with that. So I do think that JC Horn's very likely, I think an alternate that would infuriate me, um, but I could understand their ability to sell it would be Quiddy Pay. I could understand their mindset on how yeah, to sell that. Definitely. Um, what position? Hey, is it's like Brandon Graham. Within the first three sentences in the post draft press conference, if they get Quiddy Pay, you're going to hear Brandon Graham's name. 100%. You know, he has similar comparables. He played the same school. Brandon Graham really likes him. He's best friends. Whatever it is, it's going to be just <laughs> It is. And, I I am praying that the Giants take him honestly right in front of us so we don't we don't do that. Um, but I think that I think that the Eagles <clears throat> from a draft philosophy, unfortunately, 
I'm getting defensive vibes from them. And some of that has been linked through like Tim McManus and stuff. I do think they want to solidify the defense. I think they're sick. I think it's the wrong process. Don't get me wrong. <clears throat> but um, I think they want to solidify the defense. I think they're embarrassed at <clears throat> how much resistance they have not had over the past really decade. I mean, obviously the Super Bowl year where they were pretty good. All right. Well, that uh, that about does it. Um, we hit on all the the talking points that we wanted to talk about. Um, I guess we just have to wait now until Thursday until we can get furious. And you can you can follow Jason on Twitter and Seamus on Twitter. I'll leave both of their handles. I'm sorry, I don't know them off the top of my head in the description. Uh, thank you guys for coming on. I, I had a blast and I learned a lot. So uh, so let's let's pray for some for, for some good shit this weekend. Hell yeah. Keep bleeding green. Peace, boys. Thanks, Joe.